The Brutally Speaking podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John. And this episode's guest is Jimmy from See You Next Tuesday. The countdown to distractions is one day away. The new album, Distractions, comes out tomorrow as of when you're listening to this. And I'm so excited for everyone to finally hear this album. Uh, like I said, I've had it for about a week now as of when you're hearing this. And I... Honestly, just can't stop listening to it. Um, as of when I'm recording this, I've only had the record for two days, but I've listened to the record at least four or five times through just on a constant repeat since I got it. And I am just, man, I'm just so stoked on this new music. Um, for those that may not have been listening to the show uh, up until this last week, uh, something kind of of note is that I kind of had fallen out of love with listening to music. It, it became a bit of a job. It became a chore to listen to music and not listen to it to, for enjoyment, but to listen to it because I was looking for an in or something different that no one else was talking about in this record to talk about during a press junket. And I had really just kind of fallen out of love of listening to music, and I was became interestingly, more fascinated about the stories and the people behind making the music. I've always had that interest of knowing more about what went into the creation of a record. How did these songs come from? What was the inspiration for these these songs? And that's sort of the impetus, as I've said several times, of, of kind of why I wanted to get a full band on leading up to the release of a new album so you can kind of get to know more of the people in the band, but also get to know kind of the stories about what led to these songs happening. And this is something to me, you know, being a fan of the band, I would typically say, you know, as you kind of will hear me talk to and say this with Jimmy, that, you know, this style of music, you know, grindcore and really aggressive music like this, it's not something I go out of my way and listen to a whole bunch of. Like, there are bands in every genre that, you know, I'm at least aware of these genres. I have knowledge of some bands in them. And honestly, it's it's just, for me, it's a little goes a long way for grind and, and a lot of the more extreme metals and so forth. And uh, the other thing that is a little bit weird because of just the lack of, I would say, a, a quote-unquote cohesive song structure, I tend to find that it just sort of becomes very rhythmic to me. Like, you know, I'll focus on, like, the drums, and it just kind of drones on. And 
that's not to discredit an entire scene or genre. It's just, it doesn't always do something for me. I kind of need there to be something else. And I've often joked that, you know, with metal and black metal and death metal and a lot of that stuff, that it's almost the same distaste I have for like punk music, where it's almost like the badge of honor is how shitty can we make it sound? And to me, good production goes a long way. And this record, Distractions, does a lot of that for me. It sounds really good. It has interesting song structures, even in a lack of a song structure, from a traditional standpoint of here's an a intro, a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know, outro, bridge, whatever, that there's still something that's interesting about this. And, and to me, that's always what draws me to music, is what what are you doing that makes me take notice of what you're trying to say or what you're doing because I feel like a lot of times music sort of has almost been devalued in that sense where it's just a, we need to get a product out. We need to rush this because we're on the album cycle of, you know, record, tour, rinse, repeat, you know, kind of a cycle. And with this new record, you know, there being 15 years between releases, it's almost kind of like... I don't want to call it, you know, like the first record all over again, but essentially that's kind of where the band is. You know, the band put out Parasite, and obviously there was a record before Parasite, but, you know, for the continuity sake of, like, having Fox and Drew in the band, we'll say that there's three records now that basically it started with Parasite, went to intervals, and now we have Distractions. And to me what's interesting is when you take, like, a 15-year gap and the two records that you put out before don't really sound like one another, it kind of creates this interest of, where is the band going to go? Who are these people now 15 years later? What does the band 15 years later look like? And it's almost because none of us knew that this was happening. It's almost like taking a second bite at the first time all over again, that it kind of gets to reintroduce you as to who See You Next Tuesday is and what they will be moving forward. And the interesting thing apart about that to me, and I didn't know this at the time that Jimmy wasn't on this record that, you know, these are programmed drums, which I think speaks to how good Drew did in making something that doesn't sound so obviously fake in the fact that it's it's something that someone physically can't play. Uh, there are times and tendencies when you listen to certain records, you can tell that just by how fast things are being done. It's like there's not really probably a way for someone to play this fill while doing this because it, it would require you to need more limbs and more things than there just currently are uh, on your body. Um, but what is interesting is, you know, getting to talk to Jimmy was kind of finding out more about who he is, uh, how he kind of had been peripherally in the See You Next Tuesday world from just being a fan, but also being, you know, having toured with the band and played shows with the band back in the day. So it kind of is always interesting when you kind of get new members into a band, like how they're sort of part of this extended family that, the groundwork and the foundation of how they became a part of this band was years and years in the making. And it just kind of, I think, you know, showcases that things will kind of unfold and happen when they're supposed to. And with all of that said, you know, I think this is uh, as good as an opportunity as any to, to get into my conversation with Jimmy. It's a, it's a long one, but it's a fun one. So I will talk to you all on the other side of it. <laughs>
was going to say, I mean, I feel like anyone's office really is just a, a space in their home where a lot of the shit that doesn't fit anywhere else in their home goes. So, I mean, it's like, that's why, like, my shit, I'm very terrible at this. That's why, I like, ah, goddamn <laughs> that. That's why that is there. <laughs> my guitar cab and all that shit and my guitars and my, my records and an extra TV in my video games and a beer fridge and all that stuff. Like everything that doesn't fit anywhere else in the house goes in here. Damn dude. You got the beer fridge. That's sick. Well, it all started cause my, I have, and I literally just went and bought more beer today. Like just like minutes before I started this. Um, because we, I buy beer, but like I have a bad tendency to just not like drink it quickly. Cause I mean, as I'm still finished, like, so I'll go through and now one of the sponsors of the podcast is like, hey, do a beer minute. So like, I'll literally just pick a beer at random and then be like, oh, this is the beer minute brought to you by so-and-so. And uh, this is, you know, the 450 North Shark Bite. It comes in at this. It's from this place, at this percentage. And then I give like a sentence and a half about like what it tastes like to me. And then we're done. And so it's one of those things like we're all buy all these, but like half the time it's like going through a 16 to 24 to 32 ounce beer, depending on like what size of the bottle it is. It's like most of these beers are like so much of the flavor or whatever. It's like, I don't want to drink like a one of these. Like, I mean, I, I'll the irony though, I'll slam like two or three, like waters or something else. It's not beer while I'm doing it. And then I'm like, I guess I could have drank a beer, but it's just yeah. an awful, it's just an awful lot of like fluid to drink a lot of times. And you're just like, I don't know that I want a, a full beer. And if it sucks, then I'm like, Oh, well that was a waste of that. So yeah. Yeah. I get yeah. it. I don't, I don't drink um, like hardly at all, but like I'm a, I'm a soda connoisseur. So, Oh, don't worry. I, I found a place that sells these now individually which oh, is wow. a fucking game changer. That's awesome. Cause like same thing. I have no self-control with the IBC root beers. Like those are some of my favorites, but I'll buy the four pack and then I'll destroy like three of them the first night. And I'm like, well, I guess I have no self-control with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It happens. I do the same thing with code red. How do you feel? Like I just tried the other day, the, I don't even remember what flavor it was. It was like a weird ass flavor that they had at like a Wendy's of like, uh, maybe it wasn't Wendy's somewhere. I had like a mountain or no, it was a Rick and Morty, uh, like sponsored drink in like one of those like remix machines, the Coke remix machines. So oh, I guess really? it'd be mellow yellow. Um, cause huh, that's, no, the, that's I've never even heard of that. that. I hadn't either. And I tried it and it was somewhat decent. It was like a weird, like, I mean, mellow yellow already is like knockoff Mountain Dew. So it was like some sort of, I, think they, I don't know. It was Rick and Morty thing, so I was just like, whatever, you got me. There you go. <laughs> the, the weirdness of branding, like, I'm so, like, I know, like, obviously you collect vinyl, and, like, Fox is even telling me, like, oh, you want to get Jimmy going, like, just talk about records, and it's yeah. funny because I realized, like, my, like, I don't have that gene in me, like, where I need to own every variant of a record, like, there are people, like, and I'm sure you know this person, Austin, that runs Mind Over Matter Records, um, he will literally have every variant that exists of something, uh, even down to the test press. And that's not me. Thankfully, I'm fine with a copy. And typically, though, I'm the whatever the lowest variant is. That's what I go after. And then from there, it's subsequently the other variants. But, uh, yeah, I don't have it in me to be like, I need one of like everything. Yeah, you got you. That's me. <laughs> but it's not it's not for everything, though. It's, um, you know specifically if it's a band that i've been in yes i like to do that um but 
there's only one band that I exclusively have most things of. Test press are very hard to find, uh, especially for some of the older releases. But I do have a few. But the only band I do that with is Primitive Man. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not. I so I'm really terrible with like certain things like that. But isn't Ben from Conversion Primitive Man? No, um, it's a guy named Ethan Lee McCarthy. Okay. Um, he used to be in um, a band a long time ago called Clinging to the Trees of a Forest Fire. Okay. Um, and he also plays guitar in an outfit called, <clears throat> excuse me, Vermin Womb. Okay. Um, but it's um, just a three piece. It's just extremely doom sludge. Like was, it's amazing if you want, just want to crush your whole day and <laughs> just put that on. See, sometimes like I'll listen to stuff like that. Like I remember getting really big into like, and I'm probably going to mispronounce it. Cause I feel like everyone recently has been like, it's not how you say it, but sun O or sun or however you say it, because technically I guess the O isn't really supposed to be an O. It just is because they took it from the, the sun amplifiers or whatever that yeah. it's not sun O, but because no one knew that that's what the thing was. They just assumed it was a letter. Yeah. Or not. A, yeah. A letter. Yeah. They're a, they're a whole different type of being. Cause there's no drums to that. So, you know, I can only I can only get down with that for a certain amount of time before I'm like, okay, I need something with a rhythm like of a percussive instrument like with that like um, Monoliths and Dimensions is a great record from them. But speaking of variant collecting, I have to talk about this really quick because of we're speaking upon Sun right now, and it's. Uh, my buddy Jacob actually is trying to variant collect all of Sun O, and he's doing a very good job. But he he keeps running into a problem where he keeps buying variants online. That when he he's like, okay, I don't have this one, so he buys it. But when he gets it, he's like, they had this listed wrong, and it's dude, one I already have, dude. So I'm like, man, that sucks. <laughs> that happened to me a little while ago. Um, I had been trying to, and I mean, whatever you, some, some collectors like hate this shit and some are just like, whatever. Um, but like, in, in, you know, being kind of more into to like hip hop and stuff as well. A lot of hip hop artists don't press vinyl. So the only market there was, was like this, like European bootleg market. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when Drake had put out, uh, uh views and beyonce put out lemonade there there was like these bootlegs of them and they were like the lemonade i got was supposed to i think actually both lemonade and views were supposed to be on this like translucent pink vinyl which was like super super limited back when discog still like told you like how many pressings technically there were of bootlegs and it was this thing where i bought one from somebody and neither one were the ones that they said they were. And I went to a dude like the, the, the lemonade one really pissed me off because like the, the Drake one wasn't, I think it was only like a $20 difference between that variant and the other one that I ended up getting. So I wasn't like, Oh, I was really out a lot of money on that. But the Beyonce one was so like exponentially more, like probably like an, at least 75 to $80 more for that yeah. variant. And when I got it, I sent the dude a thing and I was like, dude, I just opened this and it's like literally lemonade colored. 
And I was like, that's not the variant you fucking sold me. Like this one is only worth X amount on the marketplace. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like I, my person working the shop must have mislabeled, you know, some excuse. And I was just like, and I thought about debating my charge and being like, I probably could get a refund for it or at least get the money back from what he, the different variants. But I think that's the only time I've really been fucking bummed like that. I didn't get the variant that I thought I was getting because like it was such a hot item and it was so much more money that I was just like, that sucks. Yeah. Um, you could, they didn't offer to like give you anything. No, because basically, basically, in in so many words, the guy was like, I mean, what are you going to do about it? It's a fucking bootleg. Are you going to admit that you like bought a bootleg and you're going to just like dispute the transaction, which I was just kind of like, yeah, kind (laughs) of like, no, I was hoping to get the bootleg copy that I wanted. Yeah, but it it is what it is. Yeah, definitely. If you want to get me going, talk about records because that's what I love. That and Ghostbusters. So. Well, hold on. The original Ghostbusters that used that wasn't really affiliated with Ghostbusters at all. Like, do you um, remember that like knockoff show? Like for yeah, a little while. Yeah, the with like the the puppets uh, and the gorilla or whatever yeah, is the sidekick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't remember what I thought it was a puppet, but yeah, was a no, gorilla. Not that I'm talking about your the real Ghostbusters. Your, I think that was what that show was called. <laughs> the four homies. Yeah, no, I used to religiously watch that cartoon so much to the fact that like, I think like most children, like my parents, I remember one year, all I wanted for Christmas was Winston. And apparently he was like the hot toy that year. And then I got him. I think I broke him within like 20 minutes. (laughs) That happened to me as a kid at Christmas with a He-Man with He-Man's sword. Mm. I took it outside and it was uh, snowy. And I went to like chop the fence with it and it just broke. (laughs) It was horrible. What shitty universe is this sword good in? (laughs) I was so mad. And then my mom was mad. She was like, we just got you that. I was like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm little. (laughs) It's so wild to see how much some of those things are worth now. Like, you know, like in a completely different facet, but totally a hundred percent in the same realm, you know, like watching friends now getting into the vintage t-shirt game and you essentially see shirts that at least I know for me, like shirts I had as a kid going on and selling on like these Instagram live auctions for like a thousand or $1,200. And like, Jesus Christ, I fucking had like three of those. Yeah. If I just would have held on to it. Same with like records. Like you see records now and you're just like, like some records that like, like I have had to sell some records over the years and stuff when, you know, needing to get some money. Like when my car went down, I was like, fuck, I need to come up with money real quick. And it was a thing where I was like, I don't want to go through my records, but I guess I will. And it was funny to see like records that I had bought for like $10 or like, you know, like thinking about, uh, like 36 crazy fists with their collisions and castaways and, uh, uh, whatever the other record was before that. Um, like I knew some of the dudes in the band. So like the last time they came through, I just was like, Hey, sign them for me records that I bought when fair records was going out of business and like, just get rid of everything. I think collectively with shipping, I think I bought those two records for like $18 and I was able to sell each of them for like 120. Yeah. A lot of that stuff is once you, 
get people who, you know, like we were talking about with variant collecting, it's like some people missed out on having like an earlier press of something. So they're, you know, with the stimulus checks, a lot of people were able to afford bullshit that they couldn't <laughs> afford before that happened. So, you know, I, I was admittedly guilty of it myself. Like, you know, I was like, oh, this ISIS record costs this much? <laughs> Thanks a lot, stimulus check. It's mine now. <laughs> what but, is... I was going to say this is this is a fun thing because I feel like it, it's just fun to talk about these things in retrospect. But if you're willing to admit the number, what is the most you have spent on a record? Me? Yeah. Uh, $700. What was it? It was a copy of my old band, um, The Heartland. And it was it's seven hundred dollars in your own shit. <laughs> well, <clears throat> so it it wasn't an album that I was on. Okay. But um the the company uh there's a, a company called Wax Vessel out there mm-hmm. that is pressing amazing nostalgic MySpace era grindcore um you know beatdown shit um from that like MySpace era. So um they did the the album that the Heartland did when they signed to Creep, which was after I had exited the band, like mm. um, we signed to Creep, and um, probably like six months later or so, um, I left to join another band. And um, <clears throat> this is just a particular copy that they made for the the band members. It's like very limited. It's like five or eight copies or something like that. And there was a guy getting rid of it. And I was like, this is very nostalgic for myself because I helped write the majority of the songs with our guitarists um, for that record. And um, I was like, this is the closest I can ever get to, you know, having something this rare and limited. So I, you know, I shelled out the money and, and paid for it. Yeah, I think that. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, this is just turning into a fun like show and tell for for the audio listeners. Uh, for me, it was when they were re reissuing the first corn record. Oh, I bought one good. of the uh, five approved test presses of it from a friend of mine, and they did two batches. One that was gold, like that one that screen printed. Um, and those were the approved ones. And then they had five rejected ones that were uh, done in silver instead of the gold. So technically 10 test presses were done for that record. That's And I remember like, I think it was tax time essentially. So kind of funny stimulus checks coming into play. Yeah. Um, I remember having the money. I'd really like this record, like is such a huge part of like, like I could tell, I can literally tell you where I was when I first heard this. Um, and who I was around. Like, it's one of those records that I can just like close my eyes and be instantly transported back to hearing this record for the first time. And just what a monumental shift in like, this is like my music for lack of a better term. Like it's the first thing that felt like it was new and exciting and dangerous. And and like all those feelings that like 
at least I'll say my my dad would say like when talking about listening to Alice Cooper or listening to you know like certain bands where it's like this shit is like life changing. Yeah. And so to me, like to be able to have like something so rare that meant something so much to me and so steeped in nostalgia, just very much like yourself. Like I was willing to spend quite a bit on it to get one. And it was this thing where I remember like the, the dude was like, yeah, it'll, it'll run. Like, I think it was like four or four fifty. might've been 500, but like, and I was like, Got it. Like, and I was like, I was willing to go probably up to like six or seven, honestly. Yeah. And it was one of those things I paid for it that morning. And somehow it was like, cause like my wife and I still have separate bank accounts for shit. Like we just, that's how we uh, fight that. We just don't ever have about things. It's because we're right. just like, you got your money, you can spend it on whatever, as long as you can pay your bills and all that, like it's fine. Um, so it was this thing, like I bought it and then like, like an hour later, my wife texts me while I'm at work. And she's like, what did you buy for this amount of money? And I was like, what? Nothing. Doesn't matter. Don't. And she goes, did you buy that fucking corn record? She goes, did you buy that record? And I go, yeah. And I just remember being like, oh, God damn it. Like, cause I didn't want her to know. Cause like, like my wife is constantly the source of breaking my balls for things that I'm so like excited about. Like I remember getting what started my limited like Funko pop collection, which I don't have many. I think I still have like maybe 10 total. Um, nice but I had gotten the CM punk pop Funko when he had just like left, like right before he had just retired from WWE. And I remember getting it and I was like, Oh man, this thing's so cool. And just left it in the box and put it on a shelf. But like, as I had it, my wife was just goes, what does it do? And I was like, what do you mean? What does it do? And she goes like, do you take it out and play with it? Does it move? And I was like, no, <laughs> and she goes, that's stupid. And I remember just feeling like really dumb all of a sudden and just being like, Oh, and then later on, like we were just kind of, I was in that phase, I think where everyone gets through where you just start like downsizing shit. And you're like, ah, you know, I'm tired of moving this from this shelf to this bit. And so finally I listed it and things sold for like 250 bucks. Cause it had like, at that point he like hadn't been wrestling for, for forever. So anything that you could get that was that old, like was worth something all of a sudden. So when I got paid from PayPal or, or from uh, eBay, I go, remember when you asked me what it does, it makes me money. <laughs> It was yep. like a like a four year old joke that just had to germinate. So like for me to like come have a comeback for it, I I know what you're talking about because like you know I have Funko Pops as as well, and I'm to the point now where I'm like I can't I can't buy anymore unless it's like something super cool and just off the wall for me. Like you know if it's Ghostbusters related, I'm I will buy it, um, but you know. I think the most recent one I bought was, uh, I thought it was right over here, but it's not. Um, the most recent one I bought was Willie Nelson. Cause I love country, uh, and classic country and I love Willie Nelson. And I was like, they made a pop figure of Willie Nelson. I have to have it. So. Yeah, there is some that like I'll buy and there are just some things in general, like I'll buy and I'm like, uh, this is kind of like a, a future investment thing. Like, I'll spend the $10 now and know that I can flip it down the road for a lot more money. So like the Justin Timberlake one for in sync, like I was like, ah, that'll be a cool one just to have for a little bit. But it's like, I know eventually that will be worth something down the road when it's out of print and all that. Yeah. Same with like a LeBron Lakers one I have, especially now, like it's probably worth something even a little bit now. Cause it's the old Jersey number. So just little things like that, where you're like, I'll buy it for $10 now. And then when whatever happens, it's like, I'll probably be able to flip it down the road and, 
make some money off of it for a even $10 if, investment. Even if it's not like, as, you know, getting like a ton of money for it, if you get like even double your money back for it, it's like, you know, that's it's the, a win. People go through phases of stuff and it's like, you know, it's fun while it, it like it lasts. And then like you said, tired of moving it. Like literally this past weekend, we swapped rooms in my house, my wife and I, and I was in the room over here and it's a lot smaller and all the room was basically collapsing around me. Like between my art prints, my records and all the random ghostbusters and Funko pop stuff. Like I just had no room. So we moved into this bigger room and you know, finally got like my other Ikea shelf, which is this one, uh, all set up. And now I don't have any records on the floor. <laughs> I'm so happy. They're all in one spot, but it's like, you're saying like, you're tired of moving it. Like there's some stuff in here that I'm probably gonna say goodbye to probably pretty soon because, you know, I have the room in here, but like, I don't want to make it like the other room <laughs> yeah exactly like i want to yeah. be able to be in here and be comfortable and not feel crowded yeah and i think there there comes this thing after a while where and and maybe it's just more me but where like i'll look online and i'll see something and i'll see like people like oh it'd be really cool if i had this or if i had that or whatever and it turns into this thing for me like a lot of times where i'm like I'd rather just go to somebody else who I know is going to have and get enjoyment out of this thing that literally has been sitting in a closet or sitting out of sight. And I just don't really care about it. There does become that like a little bit of, I don't want to say FOMO necessarily, but there becomes this sort of like, I hope I don't miss it and then regret that I sold this thing. I have one piece of Funko pop memorabilia that I did sell and I wish that I hadn't. (laughs) <laughs> and it was um four pack of the Ghostbusters that were covered in marshmallow. Mm. And I got it. It was expensive when I bought it. Like it was like 85 or a hundred bucks. And I was like, Ooh, that's really expensive, but this is super cool. And then a little while later, someone was searching for it. And I was like, you know, they put out an offer of like what they were willing to pay for it. And it was like double what I paid for it. So I was like, you know what? This person seems like they really want it more than I do. And so I sold it to them. And it's just kind of been on my like, man, I really wish I had done that list. Yeah. The only thing that I I think I've sold, and it was so weird because it was a a record. And I, I love this about Discogs, but I also hate it about this, where it's like if you add it to your collection, people can then see who has it, and then they can just randomly message you and offer to you or lowball you, typically, yeah. for something that you have. And I remember I had this the Misery Signals double LP of uh, um, Malice and Controller. And Carl had basically given it to me because uh, I had tweeted him or something that like they were playing in Grand Rapids like the day after my birthday or whatever. So he's like, hit me up or email me here. I'll guest list you. And then when I showed up, I was looking at some merch and he was like, want anything? I was like, oh, I was thinking about picking up this record. And he goes, sign me. And then he like signed it real quick. And someone hit me like I had been asked if I would sell it. And I kept saying no. And then I had someone randomly hit me up. They're like, I'll give you like 350 for it. And I was like, 
I don't think I've listened to this thing like years. All right. And I yeah. sold it. But then when like now, like to find a copy of that, like good luck finding one if you can. Secondly, it'll be a f- like, way more than that. Third, it's like even when they did that reprint or when they did the big box set, I was like, oh, I'm going to grab that. And then that sold out so fast that I was like, shit, now I don't I don't have any of it. And so I'm just like sort of like as I bought the last record they just put out, I was like, man, it would have been really nice to still have, you know, the older one. And I sold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that um, that's kind of a pain about Discogs, too, because I've had that happen to me multiple times for mostly wax vessel related records. Um, and you know, I, I've done it myself to reach out to others as well to, you know, Hey, um, would you ever consider parting with this? Um, I've had some really annoying people reach out to me (laughs) who are just inconsiderate and just think that, you know, you owe them the world, but, um, you know, um, you can also hide your discogs, uh, Hmm. your collection from, people seeing it and so if you know on the list of things it's like shows what people have Mm. you won't be on that list i'm so inactive on it that like it doesn't bother me like i had one guy like because i like i said i don't really go on it much anymore just because like after a while i was like oh it's just i don't really buy that many records to, to where i'm like having to have it on my phone and keep track of it because if i'm buying something usually it's a pre-order like the botchery issues that are that just came out or just went up a couple of days ago like i bought those um is that for know, um american nervoso it was for american nervoso and the i think it was for their first two records um i think I don't remember what the other one was. I just literally saw two different botch records and I don't have any. So it was like, Oh, I was, I I just, uh, a friend of mine tagged me in uh, a post about American Nervoso, but I actually already had a copy. Um, And then uh, we are the Romans was a couple months ago. And that's the one I was super excited about because I have a, an older copy that a friend gifted to me. That's just uh, standard black, but I'm, um, I like color variants that go with artwork. And so I had to get the represses cause they looked so good. Yeah. It was one of those that like, and that's like why I'm like super stoked to go see, um, botch in a couple weeks is you're going. Mm-hmm. Damn. <laughs> i was i i guess i was one of those lucky like people who got because like like so the bane show just got announced uh today or yeah today that got announced today and then became this thing where everyone's like oh man the show sold out and i think i saw like 15 minutes and was a thing where i had read that the botch tickets sold out in 13 seconds which I don't know if I believe that I know that when I um, and to correct or to answer your question, it looks like it was, we are Romans and uh, Nervosa are, were reissued. I think. Okay, cool. Um, I could be wrong though. Um, either way, I know I bought two records and they'll be here in like March. Um, and basically I have no botch records. So it felt fitting that I finally bought these records. Didn't have to pay a fuckload of money for them. And you're you're lucky because a lot of the botch records are very expensive yeah um 
you'll get lucky sometimes and find some for a deal. But like we are the Romans, it's like Jane Doe. You like even the repress is you're, up until now. Like for uh, we are the Romans, the most recent was like 2013, maybe yeah. 2011, and those are like super expensive too. It's ridiculous, and I was just super excited to get a copy that had some color swirl in it and all that <laughs> stuff. But like, it looks like they're probably going to just keep, you know, putting out the, the older stuff. And that's awesome for those who are just, you know, collecting vinyl now or like didn't have the mean time to get it and it's gone. You know, well, and that one, so I pulled up my order. I got the, we are Romans, uh, red, blue, double vinyl, which was the third pressing apparently. And then the American nervoso, nervoso clear with blue splatter. Uh, variant that they put out on uh hello hello, hello merch yeah. yeah um but it was one of those like for me and i mean like I, I constantly joke on the podcast about how like how essentially all i do in my adult life is just recapture and buy things from my youth like experiences i didn't get to have as a kid and <clears throat> you know like a big one was as soon as the botch reunion started kind of looking like it was going to be a thing I remember telling myself, I was like, as long as it's somewhere in the U.S., which I assumed it was going to be out in the Pacific Northwest somewhere, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to go. And I was like, if as long as I can get tickets. And it was a thing where when I got into that band, like, because they are, to me, and how I grew up in, in the local scene out here, like, they were always like that musician's band. Like, all the bands that I that I knew and were friends with, everyone was, like, tripping out over, like, bands like Botch, bands like Seven Dust, bands like, you know, Misery Signals and stuff like that. These bands that kind of were, like, and Dillinger and converged to a degree, but, like, just all these bands that were just, like, so, like, fucking far out there with what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And it was a thing where I really enjoyed listening to them, but by the time I got into them, they broke up. It was almost, like, refused. By the time I found refused, like, they broke up. And so I've thankfully been able to catch most of the bands at this point that I didn't get to see because they have either reunited or I got to at least see the reunion tour because we're close enough to Chicago or Detroit that you can usually catch the Midwest date of whatever the reunion tour is. So it's kind of been beneficial just geographically, but the botch one was just one where it's like, I'm not going to like, I do really like botch. And I have kind of re-fallen in love with Botch over the last, like, since I bought those tickets and been listening a lot more to the catalog, it's like, man, I forgot how much I do really like this band. But it was one of those that when I was buying the tickets initially, it was just a, I just wanted to fucking see him once. So I, I'm yeah. going to pay the money and I'm going to go just to get the experience I never got to when I was younger and I was really into them. But the irony is along the way. I've kind of re-fallen back in love with the catalog and just been like, holy shit, I forgot how much I love this fucking band. Like, and now I'm gonna be, you know, at the second date of the show and see one of the first couple of dates back and just kind of to feel that that sense of nostalgia community, whatever it word you want to throw on it, like to be in a room full of people that are excited to see this band. Like it's gonna be so cool because the other thing is is I, I when seeing shows like that, it reinvigorates my love of going to shows where you know, I'm a bit jaded because of doing this, befriending a lot of bands and going to a lot of shows. I kind of like the show isn't really the show anymore to me. Like it's more of like, all right, that's the thing I got to endure to hang out with the person I want to hang out with. Right. And so it just becomes this, this side thing, but like to be excited to go see a band perform and to be a room full of people that are excited to see this band 
has me excited because I know it's going to remind me of why I love this this style of music, why I love going to see live music, and I'm probably going to ride a fucking high off of that for a while. Hopefully. For sure, because I'm really jealous about that because you know you from what it seems like it there it's not going to be a full time thing, and it's just spot dates maybe a hand, at best handful and. That's just something that you'll never probably ever get to see again, which is like my biggest regret is one of my favorite bands, Isis. I never got to see them. And um, when um, Caleb Schofield from um, Cave In passed away, they reunited for a memorial concert or a Mm -hmm. tribute concert to him under the name Oceanic. And I wish that I could have seen that because that's the closest I'll ever, ever get to seeing ISIS besides seeing Sumac um, a couple of times, which has been fantastic. Um, or Palms. <laughs> yeah. Are, is uh, Sumac opening your date for Botch? Uh, I don't, I remember because like the fun thing is, is uh, my podcast sponsor, uh, Frankie from Rockabilia, he's going because uh, I initially bought an extra ticket for my wife. And then she was like, I have no interest in going. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So then I had this extra ticket. And then I was like, um, well, I don't really know. So I had asked somebody else if they wanted to go. And then they were like, no. And then it turned into this thing where I was like, well, Jesus Christ. Like, am I just going to go by myself? Like, I don't want to go by myself. So then I hit up uh, Frankie because I know he's into, you know, same kind of style of music and bands. I was like, you have any interest in going to this botch reunion? And then he decided to go with me. So we're going to, excuse me, we are going to meet for the first time, which is also a fun thing about this. Like a friend of mine lives out in, uh, out in Ridgefield, Washington. So they're going to, she's going to make the trip up. Uh, used to be my old roommate. So like, we're going to hang out the day before my friend gets there. And then Frankie and I are going to go and he's never been out that way at all. So we're going to go do like the touristy shit. So we're going to go, you know, check out the gum wall and space needle. Like I've been out there before, but didn't technically check out the space needle. I was like, Oh, there it is. I'm going to take him to Sonic boom. Cause that's like my favorite record store. I've come across in my travels. Oh, wow. And see if I find something that I like, um, and just have a good time while I'm out there and make some, some fun memories of going to see this, this band that I probably will never get to see again. And you definitely um, will. You definitely will. But, uh, the date of my, my show is, uh, filth is eternal and erosion are playing on my date. Erosion sick. The drummer for Sumac, Nick Yakishin, is the drummer for Erosion, I believe. It's funny you brought up the uh, the Caleb thing, though. In the last like little while, probably I'd say like the last like year, I have fallen, re-fallen back in love with Caven and really the Antenna record. And it's been really interesting to think of when I listened to that record when it first came out when I was like a senior in high school. And to think about it now as I approach 40, like just how the song, like the same songs that I've been listening to for 20 years, 21 years now, how I, I relate to them entirely differently now that I'm in different points in my life. But like, and it's funny because like, really it was, and I know this is like the big single off of it, but like, you just can't help but do this with this song. But like with Youth Overrided, like to think about that song as a kid, just getting out of high school and like the world's in front of you you listen to that song and you kind of hear it from sort of the youthful side of the lyrics contained within it. But then you get to be my side at 40 and it's like, I identify with more of the, the old person that uh, 
you know, they're the, the protagonist is kind of singing from the vo focal point of, and it's just, it's crazy to, to think of like Steven and thinking about the lyrics and stuff like that. And just being like, I don't feel like you're that much older than me to, to kind of be thinking like that, that long ago. But I don't know. It's, it's kind of the interesting thing about music is if you stay with it, like how it'll kind of grow and change with you and your perspectives on it. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. What, uh, you know, kind of you're, <laughs> you're the only one I'll actually get to talk about the actual record since I've heard it. Cause I got it today. Oh. Um, I, so I guess a little backstory cause you obviously weren't in the band, uh, back, you know, before, um, so for me, I remember when Parasite came out, it was that was kind of the beginning of me sort of getting into that kind of style of music, like really outside of Fox being in Flesh and Blood Robot and some of the subsequent bands that used to play around in the Lansing area. Like that's about as into the grind kind of scene that I really was into, because a lot of it, especially when you see it in a live setting, it's it just shitty venues like Max and stuff like that. All it is is just fucking cymbals, snare and whatever you can make out from the rest of the cacophony of noise hitting your face. <laughs> but it wasn't until really getting and sitting down with the record that I kind of started being able to pick out more of the nuances to it. And I think that's also where I started getting into a little bit more of like death metal and stuff like that as well. And kind of picking out different elements and kind of seeing like the quote unquote songwriting contained within and that sort of the, there are pieces that connect everything to, to itself, even in a matter of 35 seconds or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it was in intervals, you know, and I've told this story on the Fox chat where I was like, dude, I remember taking Fox to the CD album release show in Detroit and he played it for me. And I was just like, holy shit, dude, like this record is incredible. Like, and the amount of growth and maturity of where you guys have taken this, this band and where you've opened it up, like now you're entering into sort of that converge sort of coalesce, like some of these bands that take really aggressive music and are able to push it into different ways that it just the, the chaos and the, the energy and so forth, it has, it breathes for a little bit. So it kind of creates more textures and this, this actual emotions that you can kind of feel because you have a moment of brevity in all the, all of it to be like, Oh fuck. Like I, okay. And then here comes another wave kind of crashing down on you. Like it, it creates that push pull effect so I had really high expectations uh, for this record. I mean, obviously, 15 years later, I've kind of been joking. Everyone else thinks it's a joke. I'm being serious when I say this. But to me, Intervals was basically the band Shape of Punk to come in the fact that when it came out, no one liked it because it wasn't what Fan the Flames of Discontent. It wasn't the predecessor. And it's the band ended up breaking up. And then subsequently over the next decade, Everyone came to learn to love that record, learn to appreciate it, miss the band and realize that they kind of fucked up by not supporting the band. And then when the band came back, like they kind of got their victory lap with that record. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in that time of from intervals being the last recorded output to now, I think you guys are kind of starting to get the, the adoration that you did the band deserved for how massively they grew as as performers and songwriters on intervals to where when i heard this record and based on the few singles that you guys had put out already i had kind of high expectations and you know being told by everyone like oh if you thought this was like interesting like wait until you hear the rest of it 
and I mean, like, shit, the last track, like, I don't have the album pulled up in front of me, but the last track, like, was fucking crazy. Like, just the fact that it took everything that I feel like made intervals successful and interesting and, and keeps me coming back listening. I listened to the new record like six times in a row today. And I'm still like, like texting other friends that I know are excited about this record. I'm like, dude, you have no fucking idea what you have like in store on for, like next Friday. Like this record is so fucking good. And I think like, you know, I talked with Drew last night and he kind of divulged a little bit about, you know, the inspiration that started the writing process for this record. And now that I've talked to pretty much everyone involved in the record, it's like, you can feel all of that in the record. It feels like something that everyone had to release. Like it just needed, it was a cathartic moment for all of you. And I don't know, like I'm really proud of, I mean, proud as weird as it is to say to someone I've literally never met and talked to ever before right now, you know, on behalf of everybody else, like I'm proud of you guys for fucking what you accomplished on this record. Cause it's, it's fucking impressive. Ooh, and thank you hearing that basically you had to kind of step in. I don't want to say last minute, but step in and kind of fill these big shoes to, to put out this record and record all the parts. Like what was that process like for you? Well, so unfortunately I did not record the drums on this record. Mm. These were actually, um, I'm surprised that drew didn't talk about this. Um, the, those drums are actually programmed and, Mm. um, they sound so good. Like, um, it was difficult to, you know, Andy was such a monstrous, uh, player. Andy is such a great guy and his, like you're talking, you know, to kind of go back a little bit to come forward, you know, you speaking upon intervals being like your favorite of, of the two that have been released, you know, a lot of people didn't take to intervals like you were talking about. And they wanted their, um, you know, silly song titles and all, all of that stuff. And they didn't get that on intervals at all. They got serious song titles, serious content, you know, and not to say that, uh, Parasite was, you know, silly content, like, you know, lyrically or anything like that. You know, those were all Fox lyrics. And I just think that intervals was the, was a, was the beast that, that, that this band needed to write. And Andy's playing on that record specifically is just huge. There is so much going on and it is my favorite material to play we do a section in our set list of all interval songs it's like five in a row but those five balance out to be about the length of maybe two songs in like a normal aspect (laughs) but all of those songs contain so much cool stuff that i love to do when i play you know gravity blasts regular blasts double bass you know just awesome stuff and to come into this band you know it was a huge honor to even be asked you know and you know there were people that were asked before me um before i was even thought of and Mm. um you know some some cool people and um 
they were just not able to do it. And Rick and I, um, am I the last person that you've spoken with, with the band? Like you've spoken to the last. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Rick, um, actually, and I have stayed in contact since, um, so to go back even further to come forward, uh, Tuesday and, uh, my old band, the heartland that I was speaking about earlier, we used to play weekend shows quite often. We did it a few times and Rick and I basically became instant buddies the moment we met. And so Rick and I have stayed in contact throughout the years. So the last 17 years since 2005 and, um, he messaged me on Facebook messenger and was like, Hey, do you want to maybe drum for see you next Tuesday? And I thought someone was literally punking me. <laughs> like, I was like, what are you serious? I just sent him eyeballs. Like, like <laughs> what are, what are you talking about? And he was like, I'm going to give drew your phone number and you guys can, you know, talk about it. And I was like, okay, he's serious. So <sighs> drew and I spoke uh, later that day and, gave me kind of the lowdown of like, Hey, you know, we, we've been, um, we've done some things the last few years just here and there. And he was like, I actually wrote a new record and I was like, Oh man, I was like, you can't wait to hear it. And he was like, I'll send you a track. And excuse me. Um, he's like, I know you're a little ways away from me. Um, I live four hours from the band. So, they're all up in up in Michigan and I'm in Columbus, Ohio. So <clears throat> Drew was like, I'll send you a song. If you like it, maybe we can, you know, work something out. If you hate it, no, you know, no issues there. You just, you know, let me know what you think. And he sent me um Hey Look No Crying was the mm-hmm. first song that he sent me. And he said, you know let me know what you think. So I listened to it and I was like, wow, this is insane. This has, you know, extreme intervals vibes, but with today's freshness, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's got the, the death metal stuff. It's got the gravity blast. It's got, I was like, man, Andy really killed this thing. And he told me, he's like, that wasn't Andy, you know, um, Andy decided to part ways with the band. And, um, you know, I had, already had this stuff programmed out. So we just ended up using it. And I was like, that's very interesting. Um, But the album had already been sent off like literally two weeks before they (laughs) asked me to join. And, you know, I know that Drew had been working on it since 2020. So I didn't, you know, some, some people have asked me like, you know, if you could have recorded it, would you have done it? And I I, obviously, yes, I I would love, love to have that opportunity, but you know, he had already been sitting on it for two years. And so I didn't, there was no need for them to wait any longer. So they sent it off. So, um, yeah, stepping into this was definitely like a challenge for me too, because I mean, knowing the band and knowing the catalog and the material, you know, pretty well for the last 17 years has definitely helped in learning the songs that we do in our set. Um, 
I had to learn, you know, these new songs because um, back at the at the beginning of June of last year was when they asked me, and we decided like this was going to be something I could swing and pull off, and you know, even four hours away is not that huge of a deal. Like I go up there on a Saturday and we get stuff set up and do a little jamming on Saturday evening. And then Sunday we do as much jamming until around three o'clock, you know, three or four o'clock. And then I pack up and I head back home. So, you know, it's, it's doable. Like they're actually coming here this weekend. Mm. So we can practice for the uh, slew of shows that we have here in two weeks. So um, learning the, the, the first main song that I really had to learn was Hey, look, no crying because we were actually um, shooting a mu- music video. for Right. That. Like, yeah. <clears throat> and that was, you know, obviously the first single and that song was so much to learn. There's so many little, <laughs> little things in that song that are just so tricky. And drew is, really smart with how he programmed those drums. You know, he was, he pulled a lot of inspiration from different things that um, he listens to. He's, you know, he's a mailman, like he's probably told you, mm-hmm. you know, he, all he does is listen to music all day long. So like there were, there's tons of stuff that he has shown me like, Hey, check this band out. Hey, check this band out. And he'll say like, I got the inspiration for this part in that song from this band. And I could pick it up like, okay, I know what you're talking about right now. But um, yeah, just learning. I'm kind of going off topic a little bit. No, I mean, that's the whole whole point of a podcast, man. Just going on <laughs> tangents, man. The uh, But learning the songs, we had that show, the comeback show in Bay City. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, yeah, I had to learn, uh, I think it was 20 Two? or 21 songs or 22 songs. And, um, you know, I only had like that was in that was on September second, so I had from June to September to learn all that stuff. And you know, surprisingly enough, like Andy's parts that he played in some of those songs are tricky. And you know, Drew was able to help me figure out the different parts, um, any trouble spots. He still helps me because you know, as we continue to learn the newer songs off this record. You know, because we're playing four of these songs live now, and um, they're they're hard. Like there's <laughs> there's no getting around it. It's like you can't slack off. Like you have to practice it. And you know, there's times when I can tell like I didn't like. I mean, I should have practiced a little bit more. But you know, I beat myself up sometimes when it comes to a live show setting. But you know, these songs are hard. But you know it's something that continues to help me grow as a player, but uh, yeah, learning these songs was super fun. It's been a little stressful sometimes because, you know, like anything, if you haven't done it before, you're just kind of throwing yourself in there blindly and just kind of going with it. But yeah, to go back to your initial question, you know, writing this record was all on them. And I just kind of, joined in at the last minute and I've been super grateful to be here. We've done some really cool stuff and, you know, we've got some cool stuff coming up that I'm super excited about, you know, this tour 
that we're doing in two weeks with Bandit is going to be awesome because I don't know if you've ever heard Bandit before, but they're like power violence grind. They're a three piece <laughs> and they are so fast and so good. And that's just going to be super exciting. And <clears throat> in Brooklyn, we're also playing with the banner. Same bonus, yeah. And that's going to be so sick. And that's a bucket list thing for me. Like if I could have ever went and seen a show there, like, you know, New York's super far for me, but like to go there and actually play is like yeah. a whole other thing. So that's super exciting. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like, you know, talking to everybody. Actually, I guess I'll go back to, to Drew's conversation because it's it's more fresher in my mind since we did it like last night this time. Mm-hmm. But it was a thing where, you know, he had talked about why Interval sounds the way it did versus Parasite. And it was a because they kind of had to write something quickly for a follow up. Whereas Parasite, you know, they've been playing those songs for years and kind of had them like down and perfected. Mm-hmm. And Intervals was really the first collaborative effort between Drew and, and uh, Travis and Andy. And that's why it kind of sounds a little bit different because it's everyone's influence is kind of coming through, which honestly, and like, you know, I, I always hate saying shit like this because I feel like it's like, okay, like, I know I got the new thing, but I want the next thing because I'm one of those people as, as a fan of music and and as someone who kind of understands more of the process of how the industry works with like record cycles, basically that to me, I know by the time we're in case in point, by the time we got this record, it had already been sat on for like two years, essentially, like at least the beginning of it to now, like in, Mm -hmm. I think Drew said that they had turned it in, like June last year or something like that, like had been turned in already to to get all the mastering and all that shit done. So, I mean, it's, it's fast approaching already a year of it being completed a hundred percent done for, for everybody that's been listening to it or you guys that have been listening to it, but it's one of those where, and why I kind of prefer, I think the singles versus a full album drop, because then it allows you to kind of see the, the writing process and where people are currently as currently as you possibly can be with the whole, the whole thing of, you know, mixing, writing, recording, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But seeing where this record is and seeing like, you know, I know how good of a musician, you know, Rick is on his own, right. That it would be interesting to me to see what all three of you and Fox, I guess as well, but I don't think Fox really is, probably has much of a hand in the musical side of creating anything. Like he might say like, Hey, I kind of like that idea. Maybe Um, I don't really know the inner workings of that, but it sounds like typically Fox gets sent something when it's a mostly fleshed out idea. And then he writes to that because it's, it's more concrete at that point. Um, But it'd be one of those, whereas the musicians in the band, I'd be really interested to see what you all three would come up with, because I feel like if this was all essentially drew by himself doing everything, and it sounds this good and knowing that he was kind of pulling from the experience of working with Travis and Andy a little bit more one-on-one to make what intervals was, then it's like, okay, what's the next logical step in this progression of working with people and kind of maybe letting loose of the reins of this, your project basically. Yeah. Um, He, we have already started talking about this. Yeah. And so I'm excited to see what happens. Um, Do you feel a sense of, I mean, I guess you just kind of said it already and sorry to cut you off, but I, I, 
the thought came and it's like the right time to say it versus letting something go and then having to circle back. But do you feel a sense of, I don't really, every word I'm coming up with is, is I feel is a negative one. Is there a sense of maybe trepidation on your end of, of working on new material due to what's already existed and knowing that the things people typically enjoy about the band are basically just from drew <laughs> like programming it and telling how did things go <clears throat> well if that makes um, sense um so you're like am i am i nervous I guess, about writing is yeah that yeah i guess that's that yeah absolutely because this band has been around for a long time and you know like i was saying earlier you have fans who love parasite hate intervals you have the both fans who love both and then you have fans who are like intervals is my shit and parasite not so much so this record coming out is really going to be you know like here's what here's what i've been up to you know in between all this time yeah and you know the with the singles and stuff we've had tons of great response you know, um, it's been awesome. And the, the singles that we have released from it are some of the best on the record. There's a few other songs that haven't been a single that I'm super excited for people to hear, um, especially those very short ones. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I am nervous about trying to create. Um, uh, Drew is... Um, Drew knows what he wants, and um, I, you know, want to give him what he wants, but I also, you know, want to not necessarily recreate the past, but I want to make sure that what we do is able to stand toe-to-toe with everything else that's come out, and I think it will be especially because of my background of what I like to listen to and what I'm capable of behind a drum kit. And Drew and I have Drew and I have the same sort of like vision of like what we want to create. And I think Rick does as well. And I think when we're going to mix those three things, it's going to turn out sick and, I'm really looking forward to it, which is, and it's crazy to say we're already starting to talk about writing new material when the album's not even out yet. Today's Beer Minute is brought to you by Starving Artist Brewery, who share a simple belief you should judge beer and not people. Today's beer is from New Holland Brewing out of Holland, Michigan, and it's their Batch 100 Stout. Coming in at a hefty 12.7%, this Imperial Stout really does a great job of balancing the caramely whiskey flavor from the Zeppelin Bend barrels with the sweetness of the vanilla and cinnamon on the back end flavor. A complex and surprisingly drinkable beer from New Holland. Thanks to Starving Artist Brewing, who remind you to support your starving artists, and please, always drink responsibly. And now, back to the show. But I mean, it goes right back to what I was saying, though, like, the album is older and the material is older than people realize. So I a hundred percent as, as a creative person, I understand. And that's why I'm always like, I hate the idea of like, Oh, this is so good. I want more, 
but I'm coming from it not because I'm already over the new thing. It's because I know typically creative people aren't good at just like, okay, I'm done with that now. I'll just get the coast for the next however long. It's like, no, like I'm still writing something regardless of it. If that idea turns into something, I don't know, but I'm constantly writing. I'm constantly thinking. So I yeah. just don't see how even as, as people like how, and I mean, essentially obviously Rick was in the band before, but this is essentially a, a new band. I think there's a new lease on the band from everyone's perspective into individually. And there's a little bit, I think to, from your perspective, maybe of like, I want to, I want to put like my stamp on it. Cause really, yes, there have been, I think there's been a couple other drummers to play live shows. I think. Yes. Other there, than have, Andy. there have been, um, just one though. Yeah. But I was going to say at that point though, as far as a recorded product, it's been Andy and a program drum. So really you get to kind of put your stamp into this new era of the band, whatever that may look like. And to me, honestly, like something that I find interesting when I think about it with this band, and I don't know if it would happen, but I'd almost like to see Rick play guitar in this and it become a two guitar band. And then maybe you get a bass player that also does like some of the electronic stuff or something. And it kind of goes more, just I don't know where from there, but like the idea of having two guitar players kind of, I think opens up a lot more textures that I think you guys have been playing around with a lot more on the last two records that to me, I think would just be really fucking interesting. Yeah. I don't know if that would ever happen to be honest. Uh, Probably not. <laughs> uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't see that happening. Uh, not to say that it couldn't happen, but I just don't personally see it happening. But like, you know, I see your point as well. Um, but I think like having, I think the four of us are like, I think it's like perfect uh, as, as is There's a four piece. Yeah. And it's, you know, especially with like traveling and, trying to pull everyone together. The more people that you start at involving in a band can get tricky, especially with like trying to book shows or do anything really. Um, like right now, like, you know, the band used to travel in a van back in the day. And, you know, once the band was over, you know, van got sold and trailer got sold. So, you know, now as, <laughs> working adults, you know, we're, we're using our personal vehicles that we drive to work every day. And, you know, we, we travel in a, a Toyota RAV4 and, you, uh, you know, rent a U-Haul trailer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, you know, it's the four of us and Drew's wife, uh, she's our, our merch, our merch lady. And she, you know, she's killing it back there at the merch table. She talks to all the people and, I I have like super major like I I I I'm a social butterfly but I get super anxious at shows mm -hmm. and so it's hard for me to be social and a lot of people I don't think know that about me some of my closer friends know that about me my wife sure as hell does <laughs> um and she, you know traveling and stuff like that is is you know Right now, being a smaller unit is, you know, perfect. And, it, you know, it's like, I think I think all the pieces are fit in, in that aspect to get to my point. It's 
funny when I was doing because, like, you know, I'm basically releasing these Monday through Thursday leading up to the record drop on Friday. And so, like, today I spent most of the day recording the intro outros, getting all the graphics done. So, like, I'm as done as I can be. Tomorrow is going to be spent putting all the pieces together to make each episode, make the, you know, YouTube versions and so forth, and then get them all uploaded, send all the links to, to Drew or whomever. So that way, like, and then set schedule timer so, like, they'll all drop at noon with all yeah. the rest of your announcements and stuff. And then I guess you guys are going to link these to, to your announcements. Um but it was just one of those things as I've been kind of going through. And like I had said, and I think it was actually Drew's uh, that I, the last one I just did um, cause I'm putting these out in sequential order because I realized, unfortunately I referenced like the other one I did. So I'm like, I don't want to put these out of order because <laughs> oh, then it'll be yeah. like, you'll be talking about something before you get to talk about the thing with somebody else. So you're just like, ah, I can't do that. Yeah. Um, so it was this thing though. Like I had made the comment. I was like, you know, I'd never talked to you. I barely have talked to Drew ever. I've obviously hung out and I know Rick the most out of the three of you Fox. I know the most, but I was like, you know, to me, this, this idea of doing this, you know, individually, because most of you, as far as I can tell, like, aren't like, you're probably the most active on socials, but a lot of it is because of the record collecting and, and other, those, those kind of things from what I can see. But it's like you guys aren't really super active on anything. You tentatively, from what I've gathered from all of you, don't really like you are fine with each other and like your friends. But like you said, like going to shows, like it's a little bit off. It's like a little intense and like you're kind of more introverted in those situations. So to me, doing something like this honestly gets to showcase who all of you are individually. Like it's funny, like Drew and I in the first like probably 30 minutes just talked about pizza and like weird goofy shit that like my problems with like gear and like we talked about gear and stuff like that. And then like you know I was able to transition it into something more of what I wanted, which is a little bit more serious stuff. And yeah. you know, we went there and it it was good. And it's like I could totally see some people with some of this shit just kind of being like you know, the rapport I had with Fox allowed me, him and I, to just kind of get right into it because he's, we've done this before. We have that rapport. Rick, not really, but like we got there eventually too. And I've kind of gotten there with everybody. Like, but it's like, I can already envision in my head someone's going to be like, oh, what the fuck? Like, this guy had like, you know, Drew on and he's talking about fucking pizza or about these, like, they're talking about their marriages or they're talking about like dumb <laughs> shit. They're barely talked about the record. But it's if, like if someone that knows Drew and they complain about Drew talking about pizza, yeah, then they obviously don't know Drew. Like the dude has a, the word pizza tattooed on his stomach. So like I got a pizza <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> yeah, see? You know, like I, I get what you're saying though. Like not every not everybody's podcast will be for everybody, you know? No. And I think the thing for me, like you know, to me, the narrative I really wanted to showcase too was, you know, I don't, you're not from Michigan per se, but you maybe remember the band in name, possibly. There's this band Wilson out of Detroit. And they, okay. So they, you know, had a reputation for being a party band. And, you know, I knew that, like, I literally saw their first show at like Max Bar and all that kind of stuff in Lansing when they had first started. They were all, most of the guys were in college. And then they ended up picking up a new singer and new band members along the way when everyone kind of couldn't commit to heavily touring and, you know, settled on pretty much the final lineup when they got signed and toured and did all that stuff. And, 
it became this thing where I just kind of got tired of everyone like sloughing them off or just being, oh, they're that party band. And it's like, yeah, they're a good time and they do party, but like they're fucking hardworking. Like there's you can't you can't fuck off and just keep having you can't fail upward at that point. Like like very rarely could that ever happen. And it's one of those things where I wanted to to change the narrative and be like, no, these are hardworking dudes. They make sacrifices to be on the road. Like they're eating shit a lot of times on some of these big tours. Like it may look glamorous, but like they're in a fucking van or a fucking Ford, you know, like their own vehicles in the beginning and touring and, you know, making little to no money on the quote, you know, on the guarantees and, you know, probably having to dip into personal savings and to just negate it to they're a party band. I didn't feel like that was fair. And so I remember when I was working for a local uh, online magazine, like a local zine type thing online, you know, I wanted to do a feature. And that was the point was that basically they're from Detroit. They're a blue collar, hardworking, hard rock band. And like they put in their all into it because they know that it could go away tomorrow. You know, they grew up in Detroit where literally an industry went away over like not overnight, but kind of. And to me, like the same thing, like, with this band, I feel like there are those that are just like, oh, it's it's fucking funny song titles and whammy die bars and all this kind of shit. And and like if you were to if I were to ask you like what's a fucking lyric in it or like what's a part of the song or whatever, like chances are you probably couldn't, but it was just about a time in their life and about like the energy and, and just the scene of you know these bands. But to me, it's like 15 years later, that's not who you are. That's not who anyone is. I would hope in 15 years later, you're going to be someone different and you'll have grown and learned from those experiences. You might still have pieces of those people in you. But to me, it was really, that's why I wanted to do this because I, I wanted to kind of give everyone their time to kind of be shown individually and who they are as people and how, you know, the, the band dynamic works individually and as a whole. But I also just wanted to kind of, I guess, change the narrative of, where I felt like the band from was at intervals and those people that I knew and what it seemed to be from the outside seeing with distractions coming out. And to me, it's like, I just wanted to change that narrative a little bit of just like, these are people who really had to go through some shit to make, to do this. Like I brought it up in Drew's chat. I didn't get to finish the thought, but it's like, that might've been one of the most gnarliest endings to like a career of sorts. Like just, going overseas having most of the shows get canceled like from underneath you like while you're there and you're just fucking stuck and then you're out all this money and like on top of that like the album got leaked i believe and that fucked up a lot of shit and then fox got like had that like golf ball in his fucking armpit for a little while and like what like didn't have insurance and what didn't have money and then drew obviously had like the ulcers and a bunch of other shit going on with him it's like everyone kind of like got the shit under the stick real quick toward the end of, of that. And it's like, I, I know there are probably hundreds of those stories that we just don't know about, but like, that's the kind of shit to me that it's like, those aren't things that I I say to be like, Oh, you guys are great. Or I appreciate what you do. Or like, these are the sacrifices you make because you willingly make them because it means something to you. It's just, I, I feel like it's in those kind of situations where it's like, yeah, it's not just a fucking joke band. This is real. This is serious. There's a lot of thought and emotion and a lot of real life shit that goes into doing this and putting out this music. And that's why I ultimately kind of took it. Like I said, it sounds so like shitty for me to be like, I took it upon myself, but like, I don't know. I mean, for those that I think are going to listen to this, 
and for all of you kind of entrusting me to, to literally sit down with essentially a stranger and, and have a conversation, you have no idea where it's going to go. And me kind of asking really honest and personal questions like, yeah. you know, it means a lot to me that you guys all went all in on this with me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and when Fox had mentioned doing this podcast, I was like, oh, yeah, let, yeah. When can we all can get on? And he said, no, he wants to interview us all separately. And I was like. And my thought instantly was, what the hell is he going to ask me about? I think like, I was like, I had very, I had nothing to do with this record other than playing (laughs) these songs live. And I was like, I was like, all right, yeah, that's fine. I said, you know, we'll find something to talk about. And I asked Drew today um, because he and I talk like every single day um, while we're working and just talk about band stuff. And, you know, like we've been talking about, you know, musical ideas for future recording and all that stuff. And I was like, so what did you guys talk about? And I was like, you know, I know that there's not a whole lot for me to say, you know, personally about the record. And he was like, Oh, he's like, is he's like, it's not like a normal podcast. He was like, we just talked like, you know, just discussion. And he was like, we talked about pizza for the longest time, which was awesome. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> I was like, you can't go wrong with talking about pizza. And he was like, no, you can't. So, but yeah, like we really appreciate you having us on here. Like I I love just, you know, talking with people like, you know, like I said, like this isn't a a show situation. So I I can, you know, I'm in my own comfort zone and, you know, I can, I can talk, you know, and, and have a great time, but just like with learning, you know, learning these songs to go back to that topic, it's like, I get super, super anxious before we play. And everybody in the band has seen what it does to me. And, (laughs) uh, you know, everyone's like, are you good? Like, it's going to be fine. You're going to do great. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I just, this is how, until I get, you know, a good, you know, dozen more shows under my belt, I will probably remain this way. But you know, I um, like I have a friend who lives in Illinois and he and his wife came to the comeback show in Bay City. And that was like a six hour drive for them. And his wife was big pregnant. Like <laughs> that kid is the youngest attendee of any See You Next Tuesday show ever. And so, you know, she came with him to the show and, you know, he and I have been friends, you know, online through record groups, uh, you know, for two years now. And this was the first time we were ever meeting face to face. Like you have, you know, a lot of relationships with people that, you know, you just know briefly and know from, you know, being online and, you know, I was super nervous to meet him on top of being super nervous to play my very first show with these guys. And he stayed at the same hotel as my wife and I, and I felt terrible about this and he still busts my balls about this, but he wanted to come hang out before the show. And I was a nervous wreck the whole day. And I was just like, dude, I can't, I can't right now. I'm not trying to be an asshole, but I cannot like hang around anyone right now. I'm literally laying in my hotel bed, trying not to have a panic attack. (laughs) And my wife's like calming me down. She's like, it's all right. It's going to be fine. But like, you know, he came, 
we met at the show and then we hung out at the show um, until I went on. And, you know, he still busts my balls about it. He was like, I, you know, I, I drove six hours and I just wanted to hang out with you. And, you know, I could drink my beer and you could have your Coca-Cola and just hang out. And I was like, stop, stop saying this. <laughs> you know, I've, I, I've had a few people that I've met through like record collecting groups and stuff like that. Um, and met them in, in person because of this band, which is awesome to me. And, you know, uh, I have a friend who lives in Indiana who came out to our show in December. Um, you know, he drove like an hour and 20 minutes to come to our show, but you know, yeah, I know that's probably not a big deal to some people, but it's like, you know, he came, all that way just to you know see us and hang out so we got to hang out and and meet finally and and that was the second time we'd met in person he actually came to my house here um to go nerd out at the comic book store where he loves to go and we went to the couple record stores that's where i nerd out so you know being in this band has really let me meet some people that i have only known on an online presence and it's been super cool and super fun and, you know, I'm kind of like easing my way into being a little bit more socially butterflied, you know, at, at shows. But still there's like, you know, people that, you know, come up to me and, and just say, you know, what a great job. And it's like I I get like so flabbergasted by <laughs> by the, the the compliments that I'm I just try and I was like, thank you. I like all I can say is thank you, you know. And it's, it's funny too, because, you know, being, uh, something that in this band that I thought would happen and it, it has, um, people wanting stuff signed and, um, there are people who are militant to like, if you didn't play on this record, I don't want your signature on it. And I completely understand that. And I am more than okay with that. I I was so weirded out the first time someone asked me to sign something. I was like, are you? like they asked me to sign an album, like a seat the the I think it was a Parasite CD or something. And I was like, I want you to know that I'm not on this. And they were like, Oh yeah, I know, I don't care, you know. And then I had some friends come to our Chicago show who were like. You know, will you sign my record sleeves? And I was like, but I'm not on this. And they're like, I don't care. You're in the band right now. Yeah. So I don't care. Sign it. And I'm happy to oblige and and, and do that. But it, it, it really kind of threw me off at first because, you know, no one's ever asked me to sign anything. Like I've had some records come out from past bands where a buddy of mine would buy one that doesn't live in the state. And he's like, Hey, can you sign that for me? Yeah, sure. But it was just like totally weird to me. That someone <laughs> Like I'm not Andy. I'm not on the, I'm not on this. Andy is, you want, right. his signature. and they're like, no, I want yours. And like, if I ever met Andy someday, I would get his, but I didn't. It's funny. Like in doing this show for like six years now, like this year, in uh November will be the seventh, but it's kind of crazy. Cause like 
we have a local festival here now and it's in its third year called upheaval and it's basically just a like a radio rock festival that is sort of on the par with like you'll know this like sonic temple rock on the range is basically yep. like it's like that um so i remember i was walking to go meet up with someone that was like that i knew that from doing this that i'm like was like oh just meet me over here real quick and i was like okay so i was walking and then someone as i walked by just goes brutally speaking and i just kind of was like huh because like that's i mean it's not my name <laughs> like i actually just saw on twitter someone was like oh it was uh they're talking about chris hornbrook from poison the well they're like man mr poison the well plays those drums so good and then everyone's like or chris poison the well or something like that and then someone was like oh man remember when everyone was just it you didn't have a name you were like your band name was your name and i thought about it i was like oh fuck i do remember that era of like oh you don't know people's names they're like that's like you know jimmy from see you next tuesday like or or you are see you next tuesday <laughs> to some people yeah. that it's, it's just it's funny that this correlation of this thing you do or associated with but it's not your name like that people know you by and i remember just kind of being like hi and they're like yeah that's you right like you're the guy from the show and i was like yeah and i was like my name's john and they're like oh man i love your show da-da. and i was like <laughs> cool but it was really weird because like i joke all the time that like and I think I've said it enough now that I feel kind of bad. Like I think people are, I don't want to say overly reaching out, but I think people are making the point to like, be like, I really like this part about this episode or tagging me and stuff on like different socials and so forth. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of interesting. Cause I always would say like, I just put out these shows and like at the height of the show's numbers, I was pulling in like almost 15,000 downloads a month. And then right before the pandemic, you know, it was like down to like maybe one or 2000. And I'm like, where did like 13,000 people go? <laughs> but it was just this thing where you do something and, and you do it because you're passionate about it, but you don't expect to, to get any like accolades or anything. Like you're just like, I do this because I enjoy doing it. And to me, like, you know, I've joked like uh, I yesterday um, I recorded what will be my 400th episode with uh, Vinny from Naughty by Nature. And it was such a nice. like monumental episode for me because I've been trying to get rap on the show for so long because it's something I do really love. Mm -hmm. But it became this thing where the rap side of things, people are like, oh, you don't have any rappers on, so we're not going to like put someone on your show and be the first because we just it's not worth the person's time, essentially. But then when I talk to all these like metal people and you know we're talking about like pop music or you know rap music or whatever i'm wearing rap shirts and stuff like that i have people who are like do you even like hardcore and metal because it doesn't seem like you do because all you do is talk about all this other stuff and i'm like so it's like i'm not accepted anywhere like i love all these things but i'm also not accepted by anybody either because apparently i'm too much of this or not enough of that and it's just like one of those things <laughs> to me where like i just love music and i love talking to people and beyond that it's like doing these like case in point, like I had asked Rick this question because I, I find it interesting that tattoo artists, I feel like are cut rate therapists. You know, a lot of people just emotionally dump trauma on them with whatever they're doing or getting, because it usually means something or it's a keepsake of someone met like past or whatever. Or, you know, as one of my other friends had said, like I got the, like an older lady came in, was getting this big tattoo. And I asked her what was, you know, what made her finally decide to get a tattoo, let alone this. And she was like, I left my husband of like 30 years. who used to beat me every day. And then you're just like, fuck. Okay. Like, like now when I'm done with this, I got to go home and what am I doing with that? Or yeah. like, you know, if you're talking to your significant other, it's like, you know, they might be bitching about someone at their job, but then you're just like, maybe not fully there. Cause you're just thinking about 
what this lady told you all these details about this horrific experience she went through and thinking about that. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, now you're an asshole because you're not listening to me. And then you're like, oh, I'm so like, but you also don't want to unload all that onto somebody else. So I was kind of asking Rick about that. And he just said something like, I hate to say it like, so like, it's just like idiot savant kind of thing, but it was just like so simplistic in how he said it. He was like, nah, man. I mean, I learned from like working in kitchens. Like you just check that shit at the door. Like you don't want to ruin everyone else's day. So just fucking shuck it off and then just like go to work and have fun. And I remember like when he said it, I just was like, I guess it really is. I guess it is that easy, but like, fuck. And I just, and it really stuck with me for like the rest of yet like Monday. And I mean, even still, I'm talking about it now, like a day later. And it's one of those things that like, there's usually like something like that in every single chat I do, where I walk away, just kind of thinking about someone, something someone else said. And I go, I don't care if anyone listens to this. I don't care if anyone thinks that like 99% of the shit we talked about was boring. And all they cared about was us talking about the new record. And they're like, I could have done without everything else. But to me, it's like, I usually will find something in every chat where I'm just like, oh man, I'm really glad. Like I got to talk to that person and we connected over X, Y, or Z, or they made me think of something completely differently because I feel like we're just missing that as people. Like we, we don't have those connections anymore to sit down without looking at your phone and just actually having a real conversation with someone. Yep. And Rick, Rick and I are, Rick is like my brother from, you know, another mother. <laughs> like Rick is one of my favorite people in the entire world. And the, we, we have the same kind of personalities in some ways. Like we share a lot of, um, random humor from like our childhood that like oh, we, we talked about that. <laughs> that like so like we love like the movie heavyweights that was out yeah, in I the remember. 90s yep yeah we quote that movie all the time we quote all sorts of shit and you know rick rick is like just like one of the most fun people to be around and he rick is like my um how do I put it? He at shows, he knows how nervous I get. And he looks at me like dead ass in my eyes and says, Hey, it's fine. We're going to go out here. We're going to crush the fucking music. You're going to play some blast beats. And then we're going to hang out afterwards and talk about your dog and heavyweights. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? That's exactly what we're going to do. And he helps kind of calm me down before my anxiety levels just fucking explode off the charts, even though they already have at that point. (laughs) But yeah, it's, you know, talking, talking to people like, like this, like, I think when people like host a podcast like this, I think it's super cool because we've done a couple and some of them have had, um, this is the first one where it wasn't like kind of scripted in a way, um, like where they didn't have questions like already keyed up and like, I'm sure you've had stuff written down to like, Hey, let's I talk used about to, I used to do that. Yeah. I used to do that. But then I realized actually it was in going to therapy that I realized because, and as this is kind of how Drew and I got into like our more serious part of the conversation, <laughs> but I had said like, I would script 
Like I would start off with a really good question, but I'm like, you can't just ask someone that right away. So how do I get there? And then I would basically have a full conversation back and forth where I'm leading someone to get where I want them to go. And I knew tentatively, like I got really good to being like, all right, this is about 30 minutes. I get them for like 35, 40. So then we can kind of ad lib like on the, the back end or the front end or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that it's like, that's not how you talk to people. Like if you walk into someone and just had a script ready, like that's fucking weird. So I was like, why don't I just talk to someone and see where it goes? Cause that's more natural and like way cooler shit will happen. And, and the first chat I did was with uh, uh, Lee from born of Osiris uh, about his solo instrumental record. And I remember we were talking about, we we're just kind of talking about like taking like hallucinogenics and kind of like the shedding of yourself and like all this other stuff. And, essentially he kind of revealed that like the album was informed based on his past, like drug addiction sort of, and like got really real about it. And when he was like, kind of done talking about it, he goes, you know, I've been asked, what does this record mean? And I've given everyone a canned answer of like, like it's not a hundred percent false, but it's not real. He goes, but it's the easy answer because I know everyone's going to ask me about it. Cause it's an instrumental record. There's no lyrics. Like, you know, no one's really willing to put in the time. And he goes, and here we are 30, 40 minutes into this conversation and you got to the, like, we got to some real shit. And as a result, now you literally got out of me why this record came out of me and what it really means. And what do these songs mean? And like all this kind of stuff. And like, that was like the, like the first or second, that was the first interview I'd done after my first or second session in therapy. And it really was the catalyst of me just being like, man, I got to stop living in this, this, these hypotheticals and these what ifs and like all these things where I'm overthinking shit to death and just let something happen and just be okay with wherever it goes. And trusting that I'm a decent enough conversationalist that I can pick back up either where we were and get us back on track or knowing that where we're going is infinitely way more interesting and being okay with it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've had, uh, some podcast experience, um, and you know, it's best when like, like this, you just like talk like, Hey, what's up, man? Oh, you want to talk about records? Cool. Let's talk about records. You know, it's like finding something that you have in common with the person that you're speaking with. It helps, you know, break the ice. And I feel like this, this whole conversation has just been one big, awesome icebreaker. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's, it's fun. And, you know, I think the last podcast that we did, it was very, you know, scripted, but it was fun scripted. You know what I mean? Like where, like, tell us a fun, funny tour story or, you know, you know, stuff like that. Like, (laughs) you know, and, and, and and, uh, sometimes I, I think this was like the third or fourth one I've done with the guys. And, you know, obviously they're not here, but like, I, I, I kind of remain a little silent because a lot of the questions, it's kind of like the record signing thing where it's like, people want to talk to the people who were there. And most of the time that's Drew and Fox and, you know, rightfully so. Cause you know, they were, they were there from the start and, you know, they did all this amazing construction to where we are right now and a lot of people have lots of questions about the old days and you know funny tour stories about that it's and sometimes you know i know i wasn't you know in a i was in i was only really in two bands that ever really 
did any type of touring and um there was the heartland and i was in a band called dead will rise um back in 08 uh 07 08 09 that era of time um we did some touring and stuff like that and um you know, we were on a we were on a cool label and stuff, but it's like most of the time people are like, "Oh, we want to hear a funny tour story from See You Next Tuesday guys," and it's like, well, "I have probably some that you want to hear," but you know, <laughs> no one ever asks me. But so, and but I I have been asked before on another podcast, and you know, had lots of lots of things to say. But you know, this is this has been so fun. Like, I just feel like so comfortable and. This is like the first time I've ever, like so far that I've spoken this much, you know, and talked about myself and people have asked like, you know, how did you come to be in the band and things like that and stuff like that. And then, you know, they'll take questions from like people who are watching, like, you know, who, who's your favorite drummer or whatever and stuff like that. All those questions are fun to answer too, but it's like, I like how natural this feels. I mean, it's funny because this is essentially. I remember my tattoo artist who has been on the show twice now, uh, Chris Betley, which you may or may not know of him from his maybe know of him from his days since they toured around the like around the area. But uh, Flight of the Jesus Dog, and I think he was in, in the Sky Went Red as well. That name sounds familiar. Uh... It basically, uh, Flight of the Jesus Dog, and I think in the Sky Went Went Red. Uh, were basically the guys that eventually ended up starting Flesh, uh, Beast in the Field, like Jamie and, and those guys. So he was in a band with them back in the day. Uh, Beast in the Field. There's a, an awesome record store called Electric Kitsch in Bay City mm-hmm. run by the guitarist of Beast in the Field. Yep, and funny enough, talking about Botch earlier, that is where I found and kick-started my entire trying to get the botched discography on vinyl uh over the last summer um they had one of their records and it was super cheap and i was stoked and yeah <laughs> beast in the field rules such a great band i wish they yeah. would come back i I, in my, <laughs> I know in my in my booking career uh which was a couple years long that was essentially my last show that I ever booked was uh, them at the pyramid scheme. Man, and that was a fucking a, it was a great venue to put them in because it was the first time, first and last time they got to play there, but it was where, and it was like a, on a Thursday night and we like did over half the cap at that, at that show. That's awesome. Cause it was like one of their, it was like their last GR show. So it was one of those where I was just like fucking stoked that, I got to finally book them and it was like the last show tentatively unless they come back. It was their last GR show. So I got to kind of add to the lineage of, of their, you know, live performances here in, in Grand Rapids. When we were there shopping around at his store, I was like, is there you know, any chance you guys are ever do anything again? He didn't, he was like, no, I don't know. Maybe, maybe one day I was like, that'd be awesome. I was like, I really loved your band. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, thanks. But um, talking about Pyramid Scheme, when we played there last last month, my gosh, yep. months are already <laughs> going by. It, it was so fun. Like I, it was the first time I'd ever been to a venue that was that cool. Like pinball up front, bar up front, 
Yep, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters pinball. pinball. And then that whole sick venue in the back. Mm-hmm. And then this was the first time that this got to happen. And it was we set up and did a soundtrack. And then all of the bands set up in front of us because the stage. You didn't strike their. You didn't strike the stage. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, this is awesome!" Because like normally, like we try to do a sound check sometimes if we can, if we have time. Um, and we had time this time, and they were like, "Yeah, you can just leave it all set up here." I was like, "This rules." <laughs> did you get to go to uh, Vertigo Records? Just I did. The- okay. Fox took me there. I was like, um, you know, Fox is super into magic and Rick is as well. And that's, <laughs> that's their, that's their money spender. And mine is records. And I asked Fox, I was like, Hey dude, I was like, is there any cool record stores in Grand Rapids? And he was like, yes, there's one right around the corner from the venue. And I'll take you there. And so um, after we got all settled in and did our sound check and stuff and, he was like, let's go. And literally was just like right around the corner. Around the corner. Yep. And uh, dude, I walked out of there like with 80 bucks worth of stuff. And I was just like, this is awesome. And, <laughs> you know, I it my my pickups from that place were so weird. I'm usually going, are. I'm going through this phase right now where I am buying uh, CD box sets of my favorite music like you can see yeah yeah like all these like up to this chunk are like box sets of stuff and they've been i've been finding like amazing deals on them like you know 15 18 bucks like yeah sick let me get a merle haggard box set real quick on that (laughs) because i love outlaw and classic country like that's my two, like, I love all sorts of stuff, but, like, if you were going to label me and put me into, like, a genre, it would be a mix of grind and classic country. Well, I can't like, wait to, to see you bring that element into uh, into some see next to Shit, Drew already, like, put, you know, a mandolin in distractions, so, yep. you know, just get a sick-ass banjo ripper in there and you know do a nice little shuffle beat yeah but like you know i went into i went into that record store and i was just floored by how large it was and the owner was super cool and i walked out of there and i bought a doors box set because i love the doors and i actually had that same box set and it's just all scratched to hell so i bought a new copy i bought a leonard skinner box set because i love leonard skinner a lot and um, I found a Dillinger Escape Plan CD in there of um, Under the Running Board. Oh, shit. And it was like hella cheap. So I was like, yes. Because uh, I've been buying CDs a ton lately also because it seems like something that's fizzling out. And, you know, I've found some like really great gems for super cheap that I've seen sell for like a lot of money. And people are like, oh, are you going to buy that to sell it later? I'm like, no, actually, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buying it so I can have it forever. And Because you know, I had a ton of CDs back in the day, and someone stole my, you know, you, everybody used to carry the giant CD cases in their car. Someone stole mine. And so I just have a lot of empty cases. And 
I'm trying to replace things that I truly cared about. And so, you know, Dillinger, I was like, had to have that. And then I've been looking for Wisconsin death trip by static X for on CD. No, on vinyl. That sucks. I actually had sold mine not that long ago. Did you, did you have actually, I might, I might still have it actually. I don't know. I don't remember. I have to go through mine. But I found a uh, Fox found it for me. He was like, hmm. dude, they have static X. I was like, do they have Wisconsin death trip? Please tell me they do. And he holds it up. And he's like, yes. I so like, I had a with very me. similar experience at that record store. I had picked up uh, thrice's artist in the ambulance. And I was like, Oh, I really want this. Like, like I'm really weird with thrice. I, I only like certain albums of theirs. Like I'm not a fan of like everything. So like that was one where I was like, oh, I need to add this to my collection. I haven't seen this in my like going to record stores in a very long time. They must have just repressed it or something. I don't know. But I went to buy it. And then I found a copy of TLC's uh, Crazy Sexy Cool. And I was like, oh, man, my wife and I have been like so. But we've been listening to this stuff so much so that we bought it at a Target on a random trip, like on a CD because it was like six dollars. So we're like, fuck it. And then just like listen to it all the time. So I was like, oh, man wife would probably really enjoy having this on on vinyl but i only had enough money to buy one or the other so i put the thrice record back and then i was like and then i ended up getting it eventually down the road oh but just like shit like that happens like uh same with like when i picked up meredith noms i found meredith noms at a a fye out in traverse city up here like up north and i was like oh my god this is like one of my favorite records i've never seen this on vinyl like picking it up posted about it and then my friend was like hey do you do they have another copy because i'm looking for it too and i was like no they only have the one and he was like can i buy it off you and then like the barter person in me was just like well you're doing these screen printed posters for me for a, a show i'm doing do you just want to call it square and he goes sure and i remember just like as i was handing it over to him i was like but as luck would have it, I went back like a month or so later and they had another copy. So I was able to get it. So it all worked out. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great record. I love the first two Perfect Circle records a lot. Do I like? My, mine, my, me as well. Um, I didn't care too much for the new one. Um, and the emotive yeah. didn't do anything for me. It's the drumming on... Um, which, which how can step. you have... As I say, between Josh... Like, I don't know, like... It was crazy getting to talk to Billy uh, on the podcast and kind of getting to nerd out about Meredith Noms for a little bit. Wow, that's awesome that you had him on there. Yeah, well, I mean, he was promoting his solo record, which is actually really good. And it was just kind of cool, like getting to talk about like that record because it's it just, even when you put it on now, it just sounds so fucking good. And like Josh yeah. Freese, like, get out of here. Did you know, a little fun fact, that the first track, The Hollow, that was the that, first track that he wrote. It, it's not Josh Freese playing the drums on that song. Didn't know that, but it didn't wouldn't surprise me because Billy had said that he had been sitting on that song for so long that that was literally like the first a perfect circle song he had written. Yeah, but it was um, uh, the drummer for uh, Primus. Um, which one? <laughs> uh, the main the main guy that's been through Tim Tim something Tim, Tim Alexander. Yeah, yeah, yeah I. Uh, it's funny. I love the the people, and this is where I get nerdy about music. But um, 
I remember in like 2002, like there was like a stretch between like 99, 2002, Josh, like mainly 2002 though. Josh Priest was on like so many big records. Like he drummed on the young and the hopeless for uh good Charlotte. He was the drummer on obviously Meredith Noms. He was the drummer for Seether's disclaimer record. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. He was like on so many records. Uh, I think he did. I'm prop. This is out of my wheelhouse of like punk music, but I think he was on like what a Vandals record or something too. I think so. He also drummed live. Um, I'm not. In, I don't think he did any of it. Well, he may have. I can't remember. But he was uh, the live drummer for Nine Inch Nails for a while, and when I saw yeah. Nine Inch Nails for the first time, um, he was playing drums for them. I'm interested to see. I mean, I think everyone is at this point, but. I'm interested to see if that's who the Foo Fighters end up going with, because like it seemed like for a lot of the the breadth of the material that wasn't like here is obviously like Taylor Stun playing this song or whatever, like something where you you've seen that person or you would expect that person to do it, but it mm-hmm. seemed like for a lot of the songs that needed and required a little more finesse, it seemed like he was the one that was doing it the most, and I was like I wouldn't be surprised if he's the new drummer at least for in the touring capacity. That would be so awesome. Um, Taylor would Taylor's shoes will never ever be filled that man was so good and that's another band that I never got to see um, I'm going to cut you off right there for a second just to share this story because you know talking about you know you were talking about earlier about just you know getting to do things and getting to experience things because of you know you with the band now like your firsts with the band of getting to meet people and going to play new places and new venues and seeing new people. So because of this podcast, I got to uh, be media for Sonic temple that first year and Foo fighters were headlining and I had never seen them either. Uh, famously, my wife, uh, they were playing around my birthday in Detroit of like many, many years ago. And she goes, Oh, I almost got you tickets. And I was like, that's a great fucking story. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember just being like, bummed cause they are like one of my favorite bands. And it was a thing where they were headlining and there is a person that when I started the podcast, um, he used to put on it. I won't mention his name, but I'll, he used to be one of the runners. Actually, it's Andy's brother. <laughs> um, Andy Dalton's brother. Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. So he I had reached out to him because I wanted to have him on to talk about putting on Dirt Fest and running a music like a studio and just, the you know, what's that like and how did you get your start and just kind of, you know, a, a local success story. And mm-hmm. I remember he was just like, well, who have you like, and this is like within the first like four or five months of me doing the show. And he's like, well, who have you had on? What's your reach? And, da, 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 and just kind of big timing me. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, you know, I actually know you like, why are you being kind of a dick? And that was sort of my chip on my shoulder for a long time. And so much so that it became a running joke between my wife and I, like, you know, like when I would get like Brian from corn, she's like, are you big enough yet? What's your reach now? Or like things like that. Like, so I remember she took a photo of me because with the media passes, other than being on stage, we could basically go throughout the entirety of the stadium. Um, so I took in the show from like up in the nosebleeds uh, before this, when the show started, we were probably three or four rows back from on the floor uh, from the, the barricade. And then like the back of the venue, like the upper level of the stadium, like the back of that uh, yeah. back by front of house, like just took it in as much as I could. And she took a photo of me cause it was starting to get cold. So I bought a Foo Fighters hoodie cause I was like, I'm going to buy a piece of merch from the show I'm at. 
and she took a photo of me with like the hood up so it you can see the full Foo Fighters like back hit on the on the hoodie with them playing and she just wrote like are you or she goes like are you big enough now or something like that and it was one of those things that like watching that band and watching them play oh man i'm still getting i still get choked up about it, especially in light of taylor passing but it was one of those things as you know they're playing songs like my hero and you know all that kind of stuff and realizing that i'm getting this opportunity because i did something i i wanted i did something that I didn't know if I could do it or if I'd be good at it, but you I put fucking, yourself out there. And then here I am seeing a band that it was like a bucket list band for me. And I, in light of everything that has happened since I still just constantly think about that being like, it's crazy that this dumb thing that I do talking to strangers on the internet, basically, you know, got me to see a bucket list band for me and, and so many other great things that it's done. So, I mean, even when you were sharing that story, I'm like, dude, I've fucking been there and it may seem weird or insignificant or whatever, but like, those are the things that like will get you through all the bullshit that you have to do all the prep and everything that you do. That's the unglamorous part because it's those little victories and those little things that, that make it all worth it in the end. Yeah, it's I I always appreciate when people come up and talk to us, you know, after the shows, ask us to sign stuff. You know, like I said, it, to me, it is kind of weird when they want, you know, my signature because it's never happened to me before. But, you know, I'm happy to do it. But it's like, you know, it's when the people don't want to talk to you. It's when you should start worrying. Yeah. And like this is all so new for me and it's, you know, like I was explaining to my wife, you know, <clears throat> when they asked me to do this, obviously I had to talk it over with her first. I was like, hundred percent. Let's, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Let me tell you what this means to me, you know, because she, you know, she wasn't in my life at all back in those days. And, but she knows my history with bands and, uh, you know, she knows that I have a deep love for this type of music. And, you know, so when I got asked, you know, we sat down and we talked about it and we talked about logistics. Like, she's like, well, how are you guys going to practice? And I was like, well, that's the up in the air part. Like, a lot of this I'm, I'm going to have to do on my own. And so, you know, a lot of self-practice at home is what I do. And, you know, she was like, well, if this is something that you really want to do, she was like, don't, don't not do it because you're nervous, you know, about it, you know, you know, just, just go for it. And you, this can be one of those opportunities where, you know, if it works out, that's awesome. And if it doesn't, you know, at least you can say that you did it and you didn't have any regrets about it. And I was like, yeah, and so I ended up saying yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm here now. So I'm like, I, I being, I, I think being a fan first is what puts me in a, makes me feel kind of weird about things. Like when people ask like for autographs and stuff like that, cause it's like, and I, I can remember playing in Rick's mom's garage, my <laughs> old man, you know, shout out to the Vag, the very awesome garage. <laughs> you know, my old band played, we did, um, we did a show with see you next Tuesday there and we were going to do a small run that weekend with see you next Tuesday. And, um, we got there and we played the show. It was nice outside. 
and then the next morning it was a fucking blizzard. <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool, awesome. And so I always tell this story. Drew took my guitarist and I, and we went and got steak sandwiches. Um, <laughs> we talked some, about steak sandwiches yesterday. <laughs> yeah, somewhere in Bay City. Yep. And uh, we got sauce steak on the side. Yep. And we uh, <laughs> we went and got them, and then we um, we came back and we got everybody and we started to go. And as we were driving, see, next Tuesday was in front of us, and we just went off the road. Like, we just lost control of our van and trailer. And luckily, we didn't get hurt or anything, but they kept going. And it was the weekend, which really sucks in hindsight. But we were going to be playing with Flesh and Blood Robot. And I believe Ion Dissonance. I was going to say Ion Dissonance, yeah. And that sucks because that never got to happen ever again afterwards. But that was like my first experience with like the band. And like going back to what I was saying, like being a fan first of this, it was just kind of like, I can't believe that I'm putting this on my, my drumming resume. And like, I want to do this for as long as it goes, you know, I, I would like to be the last drummer and see you next Tuesday. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's been so fun. Like drew and I talk every day, like I said, and we, we just talk about music and we talk about, you know, creating music and all sorts of shit. And it's just been so fun and, you know, I'm so excited that people are hyped about this new record as they and should be like the, the vinyl situation. Like we sold out of those records in just under two days. Yeah. I didn't and even get one. Unfortunately you didn't No, I by every it's, because of the job I had, like the, I was at a brewery and like where it's all brick. So it's like, we have hardly any service, even with the Wi-Fi. like you can barely get on shit. And so half the time when I like, and I don't have Facebook on my phone. So like, unless I'm like on the right social media and to see that, yeah. like by the time I saw it, it was like hours later and I was like, Oh shit. And then I went to get one gone. Next time I saw the next drop gone. And then like, I think even, I think you're on what the fourth or fifth variant at this point. For no, we're only, we're only, um, we've done. So the first drop was two and then there's a, a white that's going to be a retail store exclusive. Um, and then the second pressing that we've, that's up right now that um, those are still available. So, you know, I'll probably I probably go I'm, do that. Yeah. Snag one. Or if not, we can get you taken care of for sure. Cause we have, God we have, it, that's why I do a podcast. That'll be the second record I've gotten in six years. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Like we decided to, they, the label was like, Hey, maybe we should talk about doing another run. And so this was the fun part. (laughs) This is where I got nerdy. Um, Rick from the label um, and Drew and I got on a three-way call and we started talking vinyl variants. And basically I helped hand pick what we got. And this new, um, the first set is gorgeous. I don't know if you've seen the unboxing. Yeah. Um, they're gorgeous, but this second run of stuff is so sick there. Um, we posted actually a couple to our stories, 
uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Uh, of the there's one that I'm I just can't wait to have it in my hands. It's a half clear and half like coral pink yeah. with a black splatter over the entire thing. It looks so good. So, yeah, I saw that one. I was like, oh, that's like the 18 Visions variant. Yeah. Oh, the the newer the of the newer releases of that stuff. Well, it was just more of like because 18 Visions, a lot of the variants that they would always do with vinyl always was like pink, black, or white. Or yeah. some combination of all three. So, like, I remember when I saw that, I was like, oh, man, that's like a straight-up 18 Visions variant. Fox, speaking of 18 Visions, like, I, I've i never listened to them ever in my life. Um, and Fox gave me a bunch of records. He was like, dude, you... He's like, I don't even play any of this. He was like, I wanted to go to someone who, you know, likes and enjoys records and music. He was like, you can have a bunch of this stuff. And 18 Visions, I think it's Vanity was oh, yeah. the the one that yep. he gave me so it looks super sick and i can't wait to listen to it uh i've been moving all my stuff around so like i'm finally getting back into a setup that i can uh be comfortable and enjoy they just re-recorded and re-released vanity that's the that's the one that i have um it's not the oh so you didn't give you an original pressing then well you know what the person on mine on my cover looks a little different is yeah. that is that possible as well? Yeah, they redid like the whole packaging for it. Uh, Trevor, okay. their guitar player did. Yeah, so I yeah. think it's the uh, it's a he said it was a repress. So, I mean, Might I was been. fine with that. Yeah. Um, kind of the last question for you, so I can actually go hang out with my wife. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. I I had no idea how long this is gonna take, but um, oh shoot, I'm just seeing the live thing in the corner. Like how long yeah. we've been on it. You you have the longest episode at this point. <laughs> oh boy, everyone's gonna skip over it. Nah, I mean everyone went about an hour and a half. So other than Fox, because he had to go do something. Um, but uh, what are you know? I mean, obviously the year's still kind of new, and obviously this is gonna come out the day before the record drops. What are you most excited about, everyone? Like, what's the track you're excited for everyone to hear? Ooh, um, so the tracks, um. Well, I guess since this comes out, you know, the next day or the day before the release, um, there are two very short songs um, on the album. I won't say the names. Let's see. You'll you'll just have to wait and see. But there are two short songs on the record that are absolutely fucking insane and disgusting. Um, So those are those are ones that I'm super hyped for people to hear. But um my favorite song that we've been playing live um, is called this happy madness. And it's actually my favorite song on the record. Um, there's something about that song that just absolutely goes. And the end, the last like 40 seconds of the song is probably my favorite part of the whole song. Just the, the way that the drums were written and the guitar riff that drew is doing it is um it's just so good that's my favorite song on the record and then last question for you where can everyone find you or anything you would like to plug online oh okay um well um other than um see you next tuesday playing and see you next tuesday i also play in a band here in columbus it's kind of a slam uh death metal grindy type of band called domestic terror so you can find us on social media on Facebook, Domestic Terror. 
um, domestic terror on Instagram. Um, you can find my vinyl page. Uh, it's mostly vinyl and, uh, see you next Tuesday stuff and domestic terror stuff. When, when we do stuff, um, under uh, chef blast beats, uh, as my handle, so chef underscore blast beats. And, uh, yeah, it's basically where you can find me on the interweb. By the way, while I have you, yes. Drew doesn't have an Instagram page, right? Because I could not find him if he does. He does not. Okay. Nope. Okay. Okay. He's, I was uh, like doing all the show notes and I was like, I can't find Drew. And then I was like, I swear he said he had something. And then I was like, maybe he didn't. No, he is the grumpy old man yelling at a cloud when it comes to uh, having an Instagram. I've yeah. told him like seven times to get one. And he's just like, I, I just don't want it. And I'm like, okay, yeah. fine. I finally gave up, but yeah, we all have Instagrams other than yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat. It was really uh, fun getting to, to get to know the one person I knew nothing about <laughs> and uh, very much looking forward to talking in future tense, but looking forward to everyone hearing the record tomorrow and getting to kind of experience the whole thing. I mean, that was the fun for me is like I said, listening to the record and then just hitting repeat and then hitting repeat and hitting repeat and just really taking it all in it was it's fun to let it go it's yeah it's an experience like the first time i heard it in my car i had to do the whole thing and i was just like this is people are gonna freak out i think and i think it's gonna be well received i think stoked for it everyone everyone deserves all the accolades that this record gets you guys 100 well, percent. thank you very much Thank you. It's been awesome being on this, like I've said before. Yeah. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Yeah, you too. I'm going to go hang out with my wife too. So that was my conversation with Jimmy. I uh, want to thank him for taking the time uh, to chat with me, especially you know since he didn't really know much of what we were going to talk about or what we were going to discuss. Um, this is kind of where I feel like the medium is really interesting. I mean, essentially... Most of the time I talk to someone on the podcast, they don't know me. They don't really know anything about me. And we just have a conversation. And I think it really showcases how interesting you can quickly find common ground with people and how we can have so many shared experiences and, and similarities and, and fun stories that we, we share with one another. We don't know anything about each other. And this was kind of the, the like I said, the, the fun of doing this was for me getting to know more about the guys in the band I know nothing about. I mean, it started with Fox, who I know the most about, to literally this last episode, the person I know the least about. I knew nothing about Jimmy. And the fact that it was the longest one, I think, is kind of more interesting in the fact that it just was fun talking to him. And, you know, there might be somebody who along the way throughout these four episodes might be like, they didn't really talk about whatever it was, you know, talking about record collecting or talking about these things. But I mean, that's fun to me. And I think there are people who are going to listen to this and you're going to get to know Jimmy a little bit more. You, maybe next time you go see, see you next Tuesday, you might hit him up and be like, hey, man, when you're in town, there's this dope ass record store like right near the venue. Like, let's go record shopping. I mean, it's just it's all about connections and, it, and you never know where those connections are going to lead you. I mean, kind of like I alluded to in the beginning, you know, it's the connection of him playing with the band like 17, 18 years ago and connecting with Drew and Rick and everybody in the band and staying in contact with them to where when the time came and they needed another drummer, he was one of, on the short list of people they thought of. And 
I mean, you just never know where these connections are going to take you. And, it, and it's in those connections of doing this podcast for me that I really enjoy. Um, I typically walk away feeling like, for the most part, I've made a, a new friend. In, in as much as you can in this day and age where, you know, everyone's busy and, and social media is kind of how you keep up with people. But uh, I think a lot of us during the pandemic, as we kind of all sort of talked about that in different iterations, that that's sort of where everyone kind of lost it and kind of wanted to reconnect, I think, with people was when we were separated and isolated from everybody. Um, thankfully for me, I had this show, and it, it really kind of was, to, you know, no pun intended. It This became kind of the distraction for me for a lot of things. It It's funny. I'm literally just kind of putting that correlation together uh, for myself that this podcast started out of a distraction of feeling like I had lost a lot of friends and, and close people to me. I mean, even on a deeper connection of, you know, as people kind of move apart, you know, move away, have careers, families and so forth, we kind of lose some of those those connections. And the podcast kind of became a distraction, uh, I guess, from that. Um, it sort of became a distraction during the pandemic of the fact that I literally can't see my friends, but this was something I had already started. So it, it kind of fulfilled that need to be social. And now I guess in, in hindsight, it's... I guess that's kind of what it has been for me as sort of a distraction. And I never really correlated that. Uh, but it also wasn't a distraction in the sense that what I've gained from it, I've gained so much perspective, knowledge and new friends and so many life experiences that I, I probably couldn't even afford to pay for if I were to try to, to, to buy these kind of things. And to me, that's, that's invaluable. All of that said, I'm going to start wrapping up this episode. I know the episode is the longest one out of all. And uh, I just want to thank everyone for taking the time once again to listen to each episode, to hear everyone's conversation with me, to hear their story. And uh, if you would like to keep up with See You Next Tuesday, simple enough, you can go to See You Next Tuesday Grind on Facebook and Instagram. Twitter, they have one, S-Y-N-T. They haven't been active on it in over a decade. Uh, or you can just go to seeyounexttuesday.ffm.to slash distractions. Uh, you still have a day to pre-order the record, uh, pre-save the record. Uh, please do so. Uh, I really would love to see this be the best, you know, selling, charting, whatever release for the band. I, I really do feel like these guys deserve it. I feel like this record deserves it. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, I'm friends with them or whatever. I think the proof is in the pudding and you will all hear it tomorrow. Um, but I'm very excited for everyone to hear this record. And I'm very excited for the possibility of the band continuing um, I think this is a, an important band to the scene, uh, not only here locally to Michigan, but to just the scene as a whole. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to everyone getting to experience this record. If you would like to keep up with Jimmy, you can find him on Instagram at chef underscore blast beats. And uh, if you like keep up with the podcast, simple enough, Bruce Speak Pod on all the social media sites. Uh, you can email me at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any suggestions for anybody you would like to see on this show or just want to tell me that I suck or that I'm awesome or whatever, everything in between, uh, go ahead and reach out to me. Try to do my best to uh, respond to everyone in a timely manner on whatever platform it happens to be. And uh, I just want to thank everyone again. Uh, this has been a fun project. It's been It's been a project. Uh, but it was a lot of fun doing this, and I'm so thankful and proud of the dudes and see you next Tuesday. So uh, without further ado, that's it for this episode. I'm probably going to take a week off after dropping four episodes in four days, uh, give you all time to check out the episode, maybe go back and listen to the episodes once you now have the record. Uh, as of tomorrow, when you are listening to this, you will have the record. So go back, listen to it, uh, enjoy it. 
Uh, it's a very great record, and I'm excited uh, for everyone to hear it once again. I know I keep saying that, but I genuinely am excited for everyone to hear this record. So I will talk to you next time.